Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hello, podcast listeners. Welcome to another episode. We're happy to be with you. We are. We're excited about things going on in our world, including your first overseas trip since, since COVID. Before COVID, yeah. I was in the Holy Land when the world was going crazy with COVID. Oh, right before. Right, right before the United States shut down, but it was spreading all around Europe when mm -hmm. we were there. We were there in February okay. of 2000, 2020. Yeah. And it was like two or three days after our whole pilgrimage group left the Holy Land that the whole entire Holy Land got shut down. Mm. So we were right on the tail end of that. Then we came back to the States and it was within a week or two that things started shutting down. And I have, I've made maybe five or six trips here in the U.S. since COVID hit. Yeah. But on the day this episode is published, mm -hmm. I'm headed to Spain. So everybody out there, please pray for me. I don't get nervous about such things usually, but I'm a little nervous about all these restrictions and mm -hmm. I have to get a COVID test before they're going to let me back in the United States and mm -hmm. I have to fill out some strange medical forms before they're going to let me into Spain. That's just unusual for traveling. Yeah. yeah, and it's just been a long time too. I don't want to have to swim across the Atlantic Ocean <laughs> no to get indeed. home. No, indeed. We'll have you back quickly. So everybody pray for me and Jason Clark and Mike Mangione and Bill Dunahy, four of us on the TOB Institute team. We are headed over to Madrid, and we're teaching our first TOB1 ever outside of the USA. That's kind of exciting. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah. And things are... Good with our family. Very proud of our daughter Beth, who recently had done illustrations for a book. Yeah, how about that? Our daughter Beth is 18. She just graduated high school. She's done a lot of artwork for concepts that I teach on, and I use her art at the Institute courses. Mm -hmm. And everybody really is blessed by her art. And somebody on our team at the Institute, Troy Norman, wrote a kid's book uh, called pull yourself up by your booty bootstraps question <laughs> mark and it's about it's actually it's it's helpful uh, for parents who want to teach their children that we shouldn't be self-reliant this is a big problem in human beings we think we're supposed to be able to figure out life ourselves do it ourselves grow in holiness ourselves we don't need anybody to help us and this children's book that our daughter Beth did the illustrations for and our staff member Troy Norman wrote is for parents to read to their young children about not being afraid to ask for help and to learn that it's okay that we are in need. Yeah. We shouldn't try to figure out everything on ourselves by ourselves. So um, yeah, you can check out the link if that's of interest to you. If you are a parent of youngsters or know anybody who is, check that out. Just something of interest. Oh, and so what else is going on with the TOB Institute then? Yeah, there's some great new things we've launched for our patron community at the Institute. We just recently launched a program that Bill Dunahy filmed f to help teenagers learn theology of the body. And this is great for parents who want to pass on the faith to their teenagers and want to address 
the craziness in the culture in a compelling, compassionate, insightful way, mm. uh, you're going to want to get a hold of this program uh, taught by our beloved Bill Dunahy at the TOB Institute mm-hmm. for parents and teenagers to dive into Theology of the Body, and it's accessible by becoming a patron of the Theology of the Body Institute, and you can do that for just $10 a month. I'm pretty sure it's an eight-week series. Mm-hmm. I don't know what week we're in right now, but we're releasing one video mm-hmm. uh, at a time each week for our patrons, and you can learn more about that at the link to our patron community. And I just recently looked at our patron community website, and I got really excited about all the stuff we are continuing to add for our patron community. We have a whole library of talks there of mine. We have, um, remember I used to do those short little videos. I called it my video journal. Yeah. I filmed over 400 of these short videos. Like when I'd get an insight or something or just a reflection, I'd even be driving in my car and I'd pull out my iPhone and start filming a little reflection. We're starting to archive them on the patron community. We have, I think, over 100 of those videos posted for our patrons. Mm. We have several uh, study series, not just this one for teens. We have adult study series on the theology of the body. Uh, and yeah, it's. I think there's so many things we offer our patrons. I think if you are interested in getting some exclusive ongoing formation, you want to check out our patron community. And patrons get first dibs on questions that we answer. Yes, may I encourage you who are patrons to submit your questions. We look forward to answering them on the podcast. Yes, please go to, if you are a patron already, please go to our patron site and log in and you'll see the tab. I believe it's on the left-hand side of the screen. If you scroll down, you'll see where you can ask a question for the podcast and you get first dibs. So... Why don't we go to our first question from a patron? That's right. This question is from Archie. Archie says, I'm confused about God's original plan and you saying that the word made flesh wasn't God's secondary plan after the original sin. What does this mean? Why would God send his son if there was no sin? Thank you, Archie, for asking that question, it's one of my favorite subjects to talk about. John Paul II, in his first encyclical letter, the very first sentence of his first encyclical letter, the Redeemer of Man, says that Jesus Christ, the incarnate Christ, is the center of the universe and of history. Uh, Archie, we, we, we tend to have a linear view of history, that it starts at point A and it goes out, uh, B, C, D, E, F, G, the whole, way get, the whole way till we get to point Z, and that's the end of time. But John Paul II is presenting to us here, and Scripture presents to us here, more an, an image of Christ as the center. The, in, the fullness of time is the biblical expression. In mm-hmm. the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a woman. And it's as if the center of history, imagine a wheel, the incarnation is like the the hub of that wheel, and then the spokes go out in all directions. That's history. Everything goes out from the incarnation. The biblical view of history is not linear. You have very interesting things said in Scripture, like the book of Revelation describes Jesus as the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. 
Scripture says we are chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Scripture says things like the plan of the Lord stands forever. What is the plan of the Lord? The plan of the Lord was always that his son, the second person of the Trinity, would have a bride. And that means that the son would become one flesh with us. That's where we get the idea. That's why I often say the incarnation is not plan B. God has always desired to raise us up bodily into the divine life, and he has always planned to do that by descending bodily into our humanity to raise our humanity with him up into the divine life. So Christ came in the flesh not only to redeem us from sin, that's just the prerequisite to get to the really good part. And here, I believe it was years ago, I heard this from Scott Hahn. It's a great uh, image or great analogy. When we, when we reduce salvation, when we reduce the incarnation merely to the saving of our humanity from sin, we miss the really good part. And here's his analogy. This is again from Scott Hahn. He says, it's one thing, suppose a father of a family were sitting at his dinner table and he looked out his window and saw somebody smash his car parked out on the street. It would be one thing for that father to, to tell his son to go out there and, and forgive that guy for smashing the car. But it would be another thing for that son to go out there and after forgiving him for smashing the car say, why don't you come in and sit at our table and become part of our family? That's mm. the really good part. Yeah. That's the really good news of the good news that we call the gospel. What's re I mean, don't get me wrong for a minute. The forgiveness of sins is awesome. Uh, the forgiveness of sins is good news, but that's just the prerequisite good news to get to the really good part, which is we're part of God's family. We are grafted in through the marriage of Christ and the church. We are grafted in to the eternal exchange of love between the Father and the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. That is God's eternal plan. Sin cannot thwart that plan. Sin takes it on a little bit of a detour. So the gift of Christ's body happens through suffering. That's part of sin, right? That's the result of original sin. But the gift of his body to us is not just the result of sin. That was part of the eternal plan of God. We could put it this way, too. If the forgiveness of sins were the whole of the good news of the Incarnation, then the source and summit of our faith would be either baptism or the sacrament of confession. Mm. But that's not the case. We need to be forgiven. We need to be reconciled to God. Uh, the original sin needs to be erased. That's why we have baptism. That's why we have confession when we commit subsequent sins. But that's not the summit. That's not the goal. Wow. The summit of our faith is the bodily communion, that we become one body with Christ in the Eucharist. That's the summit. That's always God's plan. I never heard that before. Isn't I'm that cool? so excited. That's really beautiful. Yeah, that that dawned on me. Dawned on me. Is that the right expression? I believe so. I believe it is. I just had a brain fart and thought it might not be the right expression. <laughs> that dawned on me, I don't know, a few years ago when I was teaching mm -hmm. on this very point in one of our TOB1 yeah. classes. Hmm. 
That's really so Archie, awesome. I hope that's illuminating for you. Uh, the redemption from sin is beautiful, awesome, wonderful. That's good news, but it's just the prerequisite to get to the really good part. We become one body with the second person of the Trinity, and that would be impossible if the second person of the Trinity did not have a body. And I'll just add one more thing. It's this. This has been an age-old debate in the church between the Franciscans and the Dominicans. Hmm. Would the incarnation have happened had we not sinned? John Paul II, without a lot of fanfare, without waving a big flag, uh, basically is saying the Franciscans got this one right. They were the ones who believed the incarnation would have happened regardless. Mm. But again, it's really a hypothetical thing, right? It doesn't really bear a whole lot on reality because... The reality we have is that we did fall, but it is good to know that he, you know, the incarnation was not an afterthought. The next question I have for you, yes, from another listener, is so related. Really, to this topic, well, how about that? It's almost as if these two podcast listeners coordinated their questions. Well, let's hear it. Bring it on. This listener named Christopher from Costa Rica. Hello, Christopher from Costa Rica. I like your name. <laughs> he says. Did God know that human beings were going to sin, and was original sin in his plan? Wow. Christopher from Costa Rica. I think you have been talking to Archie. <laughs> Very related. Well, read that a question again, because sure. there are some particulars I want to yeah. make sure I get in. Did God know that human beings were going to sin? Okay, pause right there. Yes, because God has all foreknowledge. So, yes, he knew we would sin. Was original sin in his plan? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> that is where the mystery of freedom comes in. It was not God's plan. How could it, be poss how could it possibly be God's plan for us to sin? God knew that we would. He allowed us to, but it was not his plan that we would. The proper use of freedom is to use our freedom to love as God loves. A lot of people will say things like, well, if God didn't want us to sin, why did he give us the freedom to sin? And it's precisely because if we didn't have the freedom to say no to God, our yes would mean nothing. Without the ability to sin, we don't have the ability to love. We could put it this way. In our attempt to overcome sin, we should never take an axe to our freedom because with the same stroke of that axe, we're chopping down the possibility of loving. The flip side of our capacity to love is our capacity to sin. Without that capacity to sin, we are a squirrel, a chipmunk, a giraffe. Uh, 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 you know, we, we don't have freedom. Freedom is the prerequisite for love. I had an interesting little reflection on that freedom and the capacity to love once that really I wasn't setting out to reflect on that, but I arrived at it. I was thinking about just violence and our ability to hurt one another. And I know that that is an expression of sin, but in my reflection, I wasn't really thinking sin. I was thinking about specifically this aspect, violence and hurting one another and 
Thank which, you. Which is a sin. It is, I know. Yes. Uh, like, Lord, why did you even make it possible for us to hurt one another? I was thinking of suffering, all kinds of people suffering, children suffering at the hands of adults or, you know, anybody being injured and uh, by another human being. And like, Lord, why did you allow that? And I was trying to imagine what would it be like if we couldn't? And at first I was taking away the ability to do physical harm. Mm. But then as I'm trying to imagine this, I think, but we can, we can even hurt one another with our tone of voice yeah. or with our facial expression. And suddenly I had this image of these human beings who could only speak in a positive voice, <laughs> who could only have no expression or a smile. And I realized how fake they were. They huh. weren't real human beings huh. anymore. Very they were like these robots or something that right. could only function in this level of like just being kind all the time. And it's the I, it caused me to realize these people, their expressions don't mean anything mm. because they aren't free anymore. And it was a sort of surprising way to come to that out of like a longing for the good to realize that our freedom is is necessary for any good to freedom exist. is a good thing yeah and the ultimate use of or the ultimate purpose of freedom is to use it to learn to love john paul ii has a great line in his book love and responsibility he says freedom is the means and love is the end we desire love more than freedom he says mm. And so the purpose of freedom is to spend it on love. Mm. And eternity is where we spend our freedom to the very last penny, if you will, so that we are totally given over to love. That's the full use of freedom. And that's what we have to hope for. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free, the freedom to love. Christopher, I hope that is helpful to you. And I'm going to be praying for you, Christopher. I ask you to pray for me that we can live faithfully our name and be true Christ bearers, mm. which is what Christopher means, of course. Our next question is from an anonymous listener. She says, my oldest daughter attended a Catholic preschool and kindergarten at a charter school the reason I share this is because I thought she'd be protected from LGBTQ issues uh, there more than if she attended public school. I must be naive. In preschool, my daughter was told by a peer that her mother told her girls can marry girls and boys can marry boys. After the first week of kindergarten, my daughter overheard a teacher telling students that she grew up with two dads. Even though I have a deep passion for John Paul II's Theology of the Body, I feel unprepared to address these issues at such a young age. Do you have advice for how to answer questions like these from my five-year-old? Bless you, bless you, bless you, dear mama. I'm assuming it's a mama for some reason. Mm -hmm. Is it a mom? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there, there's no way that we can really shield our children from what's going on in the culture. The, the, the true way, I would say, to build a defense 
around what the culture or to protect to protect our children is what I'm getting at. How can we protect our children? Well, here's my classic analogy. We all have this hunger in us to want to understand God's plan for making us male and female, to understand our bodies, to understand sexuality. And a five-year-old is not too young. Uh, there are curiosities in a five-year-old. Why, what are boys? What are girls? What's the difference? Why did God make me this way? Why, why does one sex have a penis and the other does not? And what does that all mean? Those are normal, natural questions, even for a five-year-old, to be curious about. And if those hungers or curiosities are not fed from the banquet, the beautiful banquet of God's plan, then we're going to take that hunger to what the culture has on offer. And what the culture has on offer, I call the fast food gospel. The fast food gospel is the culture's promise of immediate gratification for those hungers. And if we say nothing, if we're just silent, then we're kind of modeling a starvation diet approach to these hungers and curiosities. There is a healthy, holy way to present these things to our children. And Wendy and I have five children. We've been through this, not that we've done it perfectly. I'm certain, uh, I know for certain, <laughs> that if <laughs> our five kids were interviewed on these questions, you know, how did your parents do? You'd get a, an array of, of responses as to where we may have gotten things right and where we certainly got things wrong, where we said helpful things, where we said unhelpful things, where, <laughs> where we were maybe on target and where we were off target. But it's okay. We're going to be off target, but we have to say something. We have to try. And I, I encourage you, dear mama, even in your feeling, I don't know what to do, that's a fine place to start, an, an admission of your poverty. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. I encourage you to continue growing, continue learning, continue getting formed in this theology of the body. I, I can't stress enough how I would recommend becoming part of our patron community where you have access, for example, to a talk series I gave to parents called Beyond the Talk, Sharing God's Beautiful Plan for Sexuality with Our Children, something like that, I think is the title. That's accessible for all our patron community members. Um, and also, we spoke earlier about that program for parents and their teenagers. I know your, your child is five years old, but I'm certain in if you went through that program, you would gain a tremendous amount of understanding in how to present these things to your children. I'll recommend a book by Greg Popchak and his wife, Lisa Popchak, called Beyond the Birds and the Bees. We will put a link in the show notes to that book. Uh, they do great work. That's a great book for learning more about how to pass this vision on to your children, the true vision of the church. I'd recommend a resource from the Pontifical Council for the Family called The Truth and Meaning of Human Sexuality, Guidelines for Education Within the Home. That is an excellent resource. The more you, as your child's mother, the more you immerse yourself in the beauty, the goodness, the splendor of God's plan for making us male and female, the more that will 
flow out of your heart in a natural way, in a, in a helpful way. Uh, sure, you'll make mistakes like Wendy and I have made mistakes, but please take some steps. You, it's, silence here is not an option. Our children, as you're already learning, are getting bombarded from all sides by the cultural agenda, which is so confused and so distorted. I'm not saying that to wag fingers or shame or scold anybody. I'm saying it because it's true. We are in the dark when it comes to the meaning of our creation as male and female in the modern world. And Jesus said, when our bodies are in the dark, how dark will the darkness be? He, instead, he says, we must bring every part of our body right out of the mouth of Jesus. Let every part of your body come out of darkness and into the light. And if we do that, our bodies, every part of our body, he says, will be illuminated like a lamp illuminating the whole of our humanity. The lamp of the body is the eye he says, and when our eyes are sound, our whole body is full of light. But when our eyes are bad, our whole body is in darkness, and how dark will the darkness be when our whole body is in darkness? This is the world we live in. The good news is that the light has come into the world through the body of Christ, born of a woman. It's always male and female together that reveal the light, and the darkness has not overcome this light. Wendy, what are your thoughts? As a mom of formerly young children, they're not so young now, but I remember what it's like to have those little ones. And I want to encourage you, you said this is your oldest, the five-year-old, so you're in that world of the little ones, that they are absorbing so much from your life right now. Every picture of the Holy Family that has Mary and Joseph and Jesus is speaking to your children that says, this is what where life comes into the world. This is an image of love and beauty and goodness. When you and their father hug and kiss one another and smile at your children, they have that security in knowing this is where we've come from. When you read stories where there are families, where there's, uh, you know, two, a mother and a father and their children, all of that is reinforcing what is instinctively clear to them when you just answer very simple questions when, that they ask when their sibling's diaper is being changed, for example. All of that, it makes so much sense. And those little comments that your daughter reported, she reported them because they don't make sense. And really what she needs to hear from you is, that doesn't make sense. Just to acknowledge it doesn't. And she can be at peace knowing, okay, that's true. Somebody says something that doesn't make sense. That's such a simple way to just to reassure her, yes, you know you're up against a dark force in this culture and you need to be praying protection on your children and praying for those people who've said those things that were confusing to her, but also know that you're there to confirm everything that what God's creation is revealing to your daughter, that he has a beautiful plan and it involves the complementarity of man and woman bringing new life into the world through their union. And that's so beautiful and so naturally appealing to children. So I want to encourage you that that's all so appropriate at that age and not to be afraid. 
It's the story that creation tells that male and female are required to bring new life into the world. You can learn these lessons by having kittens. You can learn these lessons by having puppies. You can learn these lessons by having gerbils and letting them breed and let your children go through that journey of seeing the mystery of, of where life comes from. And we, when our kids were younger, they all know this prayer. I, I know I've shared this in previous episodes, but it may bear repeating. Uh, our, all our kids can recite it because we've said it so many times with our kids. When we put them to bed, we would say something like this, Lord, thank you for making mommy to be a woman. Thank you for making papa to be a man. Thank you for calling us to the sacrament of marriage. Thank you for bringing John, Paul, and Thomas, and Beth, and Isaac, and Grace into the world through our love. Help the boys to grow into be, to be strong men, to give their bodies away in love. Help our girls to grow into be strong women, to give their bodies away in love. If they're called to marriage, please bless their future spouses wherever they are. Always with a, a, a positive sense of awe and wonder at the beauty of being male and female. And it's, it's not too much to say, even to a five-year-old, you know, we live in a world that is very confused about these things. And there's an enemy of God's plan who doesn't want us to know what it means to be male and female. We don't need to be afraid of that enemy because Jesus has already won the victory over that enemy. But we do need to be aware of his lies and the confusion that he's trying to sow in our world. And obviously, if we're going to say that, we also want to, we don't want our children to be harsh or judgmental or have some sense of superiority to anybody else. So we always need to pepper those kind of conversations with things like, we're not saying this to scold anybody or to think we're better than anybody, but we do need to be clear, clear about right and wrong. We do need to be clear about truth and lies. We do need to be clear about light and darkness, uh, the splendor of truth and goodness and beauty, and the darkness of, of confusion that the, the enemy is out there sowing in the world. It's not too much to, to have lessons like that, even for a five-year-old, about good and evil. Uh, this is part of educating our children to live in the world, but not be of the world. I hope that's helpful to you. Uh, again, I, I just encourage you, keep going deeper and deeper into what John Paul II has given us for such a time as this, with all the confusion in the world about what it means to be male and female. For such a time as this, have we been given John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Let us take it up. Let us learn it. Let us live it. Let us share it. There's always, always more to learn here. There's always a deeper place to go with these truths because really St. Paul was not kidding around when he said our creation as male and female and the call of the two to become one flesh is a great mystery, a mega mystery. And when the Bible uses that word, we're talking about a, a, a window into a reality that is beyond what we can ever wrap our heads around. There, there's always more to understand. There's always deeper places to go with the mega mystery of our creation as male and female because it refers to the ever greater mystery of Christ and his love for the church. This is who we are as men and women made in the image 
and likeness of God, and we are called to become what we are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute, with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Thank you.